Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We do want to remind all uh, that we are setting the goal to continue to read through the Bible again this year, just as we did last year. This year, we want to offer a chronological Bible. Many of you have already started reading in the book of Genesis and Exodus. And so mid-February, this particular schedule will pick up at the beginning of Leviticus, which will be on a certain page number in this Bible. Many of you have ordered these Bibles last week and have already picked them up this morning. You may need to go back by and pick up a schedule that goes along with those. If you haven't yet ordered the Bible, you can go to the Member Connect Center there, and you can order those, or if you have ordered them, you can pick them up. They are $10, and it really is exciting to be a part of a congregation where so many individuals are getting deeply into God's Word on a daily basis. They're allowing God to be their compass day in and day out and allowing their spiritual life, of course, to be fed by the only food that there is for us to live by spiritually, and that is by the Word of God. And so I want to encourage you, jump on board if you haven't already, and let's make sure that we study daily, that we study together, and throughout the year we'll be doing various lessons that will pertain to the reading uh, just as we did last year. How long should a good action film be? You know, we're thinking about reading through Acts and Acts being an action book, but how long should a good action film be? You know, last year, one of the Batman series, The Dark Knight, came out, and it was awarded or nominated for eight Academy Awards. It was as profitable as almost any other movie that's ever been produced. As a matter of fact, Warner Brothers... They re-released it again in January of this year in hopes of having even more Academy Awards offered to them and to cross over the billion-dollar mark of gross sales. But one thing that was a little bit unusual about this movie is that it was two hours and 32 minutes long. I guess Tracy and I were one of the few that did not go and see it in the theater. And one night we decided to rent it. And you know how some nights just isn't a good night to sit down and watch a movie? I realized about halfway through that movie, David, you're not going to make it. There's just no way you're going to make it. The next morning, Tracy said to me, you remember when I woke you up and told you to go to bed last night? I said, yeah. She said, that pillow on the couch was soaking wet. Well... Kind of nasty to think about, but you know, when you, when you think about, all right, what is the perfect length? When I think about the books in the New Testament, it's interesting to think about Acts being apparently that perfect length for an action book. If it were written on a scroll, it would be 35 feet long. That, according to scholars, was the perfect convenient size for an individual to carry about very easily. It would be unrolling it from the front of this pew to the front of that pew. Now, if you think about it, in our books in the New Testament, the longer ones, they are that length. Matthew, Luke, Acts, Romans, Revelation. You see, they're that length that could have easily been transported from one place to another, from a church to a home, for individuals to study together. What is it about this action book that we need to know more than just perhaps scholars saying it was a perfect length? What I'd suggest to you far more than that is what we began with last Sunday that we uh, began this series, really two Sundays ago. 
And that is the fact that this book is actually starring God. And I know when you read in your commentaries and when you have classes on it, teachers are oftentimes going to emphasize that this is really a book that stars the apostles. And they're going to say Peter was primarily the star in the first part and, and Paul was, was the main character in the last part. And so it is. That, that would be a, a, an accurate breakdown. But I'd like for us to see something with a little more depth to it and a little more meat in it because then it helps it apply to our life too. And that is the book's not really about Peter. The book's not really about Paul. The book is about God. It's about what God came to this earth to accomplish. It's about what God's people will do if they allow God to work in them. And so when we think about the book of Acts and we think, well, what happened in the book of Acts? Do you realize that at the beginning of the book of Acts, there is no church. And when we get to the last of that 35 feet of the scroll, do you realize now that the church is not only in existence, but it's being spread around the world and it's making a huge difference in the lives of individuals? As a matter of fact, just two lifetimes later, there's a historian that wrote a book called Apology, and it is Tertullian, and he wrote these words about Christianity and the spread of Christianity. He said, we are bud of yesterday. In other words, he's saying, look how new Christianity is on the scene. We are but of yesterday, and we have filled every place among you. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, and marketplaces. The very camp, tribes, companies, palace, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. Talking about paganism. What kind of impact did Christianity have? At one particular time, they accused Christianity of turning the world upside down. In other words, the description points to this. Those Christians are making a huge impact in our community. Is that true at Mount Julia? Is that true in the community where you live? Are those Christians making a huge difference? Friends, I'm not a pessimist. I think Christians are making a huge difference. But for the study this morning, I'd like for you to think, if we want our life to look like the end of that 35-foot-long scroll, we're going to have to make sure that our life looks like the beginning of that 35-foot-long scroll. Joe has capably read for us the beginning of that scroll. And if you will, open your Bibles back up and let's look at the first 11 verses. The first 11 verses of this scroll... We see that the historicity of Christianity is given to us here. In other words, where did it begin? We see that it began with its founder. Do you realize that the book of Acts, which gives us the history of the church, did not begin with just Acts 2, the beginning of the church, but it begins with Jesus Do you realize when we think about the presence of Jesus in these first 11 verses that it either quotes Jesus or it refers to Jesus in every single verse of the first 11 verses? You see, when we consider the history and the impact of Jesus and the way Luke records Jesus as a part of the church and the going-ons and the works of the church, and we are simply continuing Jesus' work, we're reminded of a very sobering thought. There are many religions that you can separate the founder of that religion from its religion. But do you realize you can't do that in Christianity? There have been those that have tried. There may even be some of you sitting here this morning that Christianity to you is nothing more than just an outward religion. It's an ethical code of conduct and it's a place where you find a social benefit. 
And if that's where you are today, I ask you to study carefully the book of Acts and realize that Christianity cannot and should not ever be separated from Christ. If we say we're Christians, we're going back to the history of our beginning. We're going back to the one who died for us, who saved us. And we're going back to a religion and to a way of life, to a transformation that is all about Jesus. But a third thing that we see is the mandate that is given here. We're given a purpose in our life and we're given something to look forward to. And that is in the final verses in 10 and 11, we see the fact that Jesus is returning again. Now, how could we look at these 11 verses to say, if our life is going to be like the last part of the book of Acts, what should it be like at the beginning? And let's break it down in this simple way. If you will, look with me at verse 3. Let's look at verse 3 and let's see a simple way we can break this book down. And especially the first few paragraphs of it. First, we need to think about the proof that Jesus speaks of. Look again at verse 3. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Some would say convincing uh, proofs being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ gave many infallible proofs to convince the apostles, the disciples, and all that were living in that first century that he truly was alive. And it was those proofs that built trust. Think with me for just a moment. Trust cannot just be given. Trust has to be earned. You know, one of the times that I see that ever so clearly is when I'm counseling a couple where trust has been violated. And now both are willing to to build back that relationship. And you know what what the one that has violated the, the trust has to learn is that proof has to be given. Proof has to be given on a daily basis for that trust to be built back. In whatever area it was violated, that individual needs to show themselves. The word prove is to show convincing proof. Can you show it? Do you realize that Jesus did not just resurrect and from his resurrection go straight into heaven and then send down a message that says, by the way, I'm not in the grave, I am alive. No, there's a reason why we read of ten different occasions that the resurrected Lord showed Himself. We see some of those given in detail in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, where Paul says, remember, I preached unto you the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But notice how, as we go over to Luke, the 24th chapter, and the reason I choose Luke 24 is keep in mind, Luke wrote the book of Acts, so volume 1 is the gospel of Luke, volume 2 is the book of Acts. And so we see the work of Jesus on this earth in Luke, and we see the work of Jesus as he works in the lives of the people in the book of Acts. But do you remember when Cleopas and his friend were walking along because they had waited in Jerusalem, and all they could find was an empty tomb. And notice this, they no longer trusted what God had said. They lost faith. They were walking back on the way home, sad face. And when Jesus addressed them, they didn't know it was Jesus. They even pointed to the fact, we thought, past tense, we thought he was the one that was going to restore hope in Israel. And then 
it is that Jesus shows himself, but first, before he shows himself, he uses the proof of the scriptures. He begins at Moses and he reveals all scripture to them about prophesying of his death, burial, and resurrection. And then we read in Luke the 24th chapter, look, if you will, at 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And they ran back in 34 saying, The Lord is risen indeed. Do you see how important it was for them to trust? They lost trust. But then Jesus says, I'll give you proof to rebuild your trust. What's the proof going to be? Please don't miss this point. First, the proof was, I want to go back and show you how all of this is spoken in the Scriptures. Once you see it all in the Scriptures, then I'm going to give you physical proof. I'm going to show you that I am the resurrected Lord. Notice that also happens if you have your Bible open to the text this morning in Acts, the first chapter. You're probably opened also there to the last of the book of John. Do you remember when Thomas, he didn't gather with all of the others on that particular Sunday. And so therefore, when Jesus came to show himself, the others left there believing. They had seen proof. They trusted that Jesus was alive. It wasn't until the next week that Thomas saw the proof and then he believed. Notice how it is said here in 20 and 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. He's showing the prints. And then he says, put your hand into my side. He's showing the side that had been cut open. And now he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, my Lord and my God. Friends, don't take it lightly that he would not have exclaimed before this, Jesus is my Lord and my God. He would have probably said, Jesus was the one I thought was my Lord until I saw him die on the cross. When he saw the proof of the resurrected Lord, he then began to have faith again. He began to trust. I'll only mention because uh, for time's sake, but also in 1 Peter The first chapter in verse 3 is one of my favorite passages about this where Peter actually writes and talks about a time that his, his faith, his hope, his trust was born again. And he says at the end of verse 3, it was through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to ask you something this morning. What difference has the resurrection of Jesus made in your life? Do you realize Jesus is alive? That's why Paul could write, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Christ is alive. Christ has the power to transform our life. Christ has the power to, through us to change a community. Christ is coming again. What does it mean to you that Jesus Christ is alive? Well, this living Jesus Christ gave the apostles a mandate. And as you'll notice, if you glance down at your text there in verse 4 and 5, he begins speaking to them about this promise. But skip down, if you will, to verse 6. Notice how their answer, it shows their lack of spiritual maturity at this point. They were still thinking earthly. 
Now, before we even read this, I want to ask you, when we think of church, how many times do you say that word a week? Let's go to church. Up there at church. Don't ever say up there at church. Either become a part of the church or get out. But be the church. The lukewarmness is killing us. God says He'll spew the lukewarm out of His mouth. We are the church. Do we see that spiritually? Or do we think of the church as just a physical thing? Do we think of of some brick and mortar and it's a physical thing? It's time we grow and mature. Notice how the apostles were still struggling with us at the beginning of the book of Acts. Now, time we close that 35-foot-long scroll, they understood clearly that the church was them and that the, the spirituality was them and that the kingdom was inside them. And notice, if you will, as we read verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Notice that restore. They had in their mind the the kingdom that was under David, that glorious kingdom on earth. Oh, we won't have to be under Rome anymore. We won't have to worry about those Romans bossing us around, telling us how we can live or, or not live. Or we won't have to worry about those heavy taxes that they're bringing on us. And soon the persecution would come. We don't have to worry about that persecution. And Jesus says, wait a minute. It doesn't say it in these words, but what he's going to end up teaching them in time is, you think the kingdom is earthly? And so he says in 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, who's in control? It's still the Lord's kingdom. It's never going to be delivered to the apostles for them to turn it into an earthly kingdom. It's the Lord's kingdom. And with that in mind, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that miraculous power of the Holy Spirit came in the very next chapter. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, I tell you what, I, what you do need to know. You're confusing it with an earthly kingdom. You want to know when? Don't worry about the when. Worry about this. Are you willing to go and be a witness of everything that I have taught you? Now the word witness, which is used about 13 times in the New I'm sorry, 35 times in the New Testament, 13 of those times used in the book of Acts, and almost every time it's used in Acts, it's used in a very specific way, a very narrow way, and it is a way that that really when we can understand it, we'll have a better understanding of the first part of the book of Acts. You see the witness here that he's referring to. As a matter of fact, take the time to turn back to the end of Luke. Keep in mind, Luke goes together with Acts. It's volume 1, volume 2. Let's go to the end of Luke. And notice the overlap here because we have an emphasis at the end of Luke that he says, let's carry this over to the beginning of the book of Acts. And we have that overlap uh, of these two volumes. Read with me, if you will. We're in Luke 24. Uh, We'll pick up at 46. If we had time to, to... even strongly develop that little sideline theme that we've already mentioned once, understanding the Scriptures. That's what he says again in verse 45. He opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. In other words, we're never going to get the kingdom right. We're never going to be what we need to be in the kingdom if we can't understand the Scriptures. That's why we make this plea right here. This isn't so at the end of the year we can brag about a successful program. 
Oh, isn't it wonderful that many, many people with the Julia congregation read through the Bible. We really pushed that program well. This is about us being a part of the kingdom the way God wants us to be. Over and over in this scripture, especially at the end of Jesus' life, he made the plea, you have to understand scripture. And that's all we're wanting to do is understand God's will in our life. Let's notice now in 46, he says to them, this is Luke 24, he says to them, Thus it is written, see, going back to understanding Scripture, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. You see what he, he pointed to two different categories there, the way I see it in my mind. He says, first, you're witnesses because you saw the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But you also are witnesses because you heard Jesus say to you, now it's your responsibility to take this proof that I've given you and preach it to mankind so that they will repent. In other words, if we were putting it in day-to-day language today, Jesus would say, I showed you my death, burial, and resurrection. Now you go and let that be proof as you teach individuals to change their lives, turn their lives around. Friends, as we think about our purpose in life, we have to realize we won't ever find the purpose God has designed for us unless we hear the mandate. And the mandate is the church is not physical. The church is not ours. The church, the kingdom belongs to the Lord and the purpose of the kingdom is to constantly take the message of Jesus Christ wherever we go. Do you think that? When the announcement has to be made, hey, can you move to the center of your aisles? Uh, to the center of the the seats, the pews, so that uh, we have room for visitors to come in? Do you think, wow, the kingdom. There's potential there for growth in the kingdom. When we talk about the need for parking, for visitors to come and to have a place to park, do we think kingdom? Or do we think physical? Parking? Listen here, I'll give you a lot of things, but I'm not giving you my close-up parking. Or do you think you need room for souls to park? What about language when somebody says, Oh, I I just want our church to be just us. Just so we'll know each other. Do you realize that we could tear down this building? And we could build a building that's the size of this section right here. And we could sell off all the parking around just enough for a hundred people to park. And you realize we could create a church where everybody knew everybody. It'd really be pretty easy to do. We could probably have it done in a few months. Because then when more people came that fit in the building, we wouldn't do anything about it because... We don't want more people. I want to ask you something. How do you picture the Lord's kingdom? Do you picture the Lord's kingdom at a certain size or at a certain convenience level? Do you picture it with only certain faces? Or 
Or do you hear the mandate of Jesus that says, our task is to begin at home. For them, it was Jerusalem. And our responsibility is as the kingdom. Our purpose is to take the gospel everywhere. Now, there's power in the fact of the way this paragraph is going to close in 9 and 10 and 11. Do you see there that Jesus ascends? Don't you hate goodbyes? Can you imagine the roller coaster of emotion these people had been through? They'd watched Jesus die, they'd lost faith, they'd turned their back, and then three days later they hear the word that he's alive. They run to the grave, they see the empty tomb, they look around, he shows them their hands, his hands, they says, put your hand on my side. Can you imagine now that, 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 that they had lost trust, they had lost faith, now they're, they're trusting in God, now they're faithful, now they believe in a mandate that, hey, we can take this good news of Jesus and we can take it around the world. Can you imagine that range of emotion? Can you Imagine how it might have literally been a a, a fist-clenching, pumping exercise where they say, this is great. Jesus is alive. He's back with us. He's going to help us take the good news around the world. Now think about this. Picture it. I know you've read the story probably many times, but think about it. He's just given them this great commission. He floats into heaven. What? Can you imagine some of them probably feeling that emotion? It says, not again. We've already lost him once a few days ago. Now we're going to lose him again. He gives us this huge mandate. And now he's not going to be with us. Oh, he's going to be. God is. Because the Spirit of God is going to be sent to you the very next chapter. And what a difference that's going to make in your life. If you saw someone ascend up into the clouds, you imagine yourself standing there, gazing upward, where'd he go? And then naturally wondering, is he going to just descend right now? It looks like he's still going up. You think he'll come down in 15 minutes? You think he'll come back down later on today? No wonder God sent the two angels there. And remember what they said in 11? Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. Somebody says, well, that's an explanation of of what's going to happen. That's an explanation that Jesus is coming again. That not only is to explain that He's coming again, but that is to help us focus. How do you live each day? What if every one of us lived every day in the view of Jesus' return? Do you realize that when we read through the book of Acts, as we move this lesson to a close, I want you to think about the book of Acts, and you go all the way through the book of Acts, and what's the motive? The motive is let's help people get ready for Jesus' return. Why are we going to extend an invitation in just a moment and sing a song? Do you realize it's for the very same cause that's almost 2,000 years old where they're staring up into heaven. What happened to Jesus? And there's that promise. He's coming again. 
Why will we ask someone this morning to give their life over to the Lord? Trust Him. Find His purpose in your life. Be focused. Why? Because He is coming again. Think about the parables. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. Why? What is that teaching? Jesus is coming again. Think about the wedding feast. Think about the ten virgins. What is that teaching? The groom's coming. He is coming again. Think about the talents. Think about the rich fool. Used his material blessings for personal gain instead of for God. And the question that was asked him is, don't you know Jesus is coming again? In other words, this morning, I want to challenge all of us. We see a world that was being turned upside down by Christianity by the end of this 35 foot long scroll but the reason the reason was because they began with Jesus they trusted that he was resurrected the proof was there they found their purpose in his words when he said take this gospel out of Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the ends of the earth. And they lived every day in view of His return. I want you to imagine that you've lived in someone's house for several months now. And while you lived there, you did some very foolish things that you wish you would not have done. You broke some of their furniture. You stained a lot of their carpet. place is a complete disaster and you just receive word the master is coming home immediately your heart sinks and you begin to think about I wish I wouldn't have I wish I wouldn't have done that that broke that I wish I wouldn't have done this that spilt this I wish I would have taken better care of this I wish I would have done a little bit each day Friends, do you realize that Jesus is coming again? And when we live life on our own, we make a mess of it. And the beauty of Jesus coming again is Jesus says, before I come for the final day of judgment, I want to help you along the way. I want to forgive you. I want to take all those things that are wrong and I want to forgive them. I want to wipe them clean. And I want to help you as you pick up the pieces. I want to give you guidance. I want to give you a church family. I want to give you a relationship. I want to help you put the pieces back together again. There's not anybody here that's done anything that God cannot forgive. Do you trust Him? Do you trust that when he died on that cross, that his resurrection proves that he has power over death, and that includes the death of your sins? Do you trust him? Do you trust him enough to not find a religion, but find a life in a kingdom 
and says, I can make a difference on this earth. Do you live in view of that every day? Where so many times in the scriptures the prayer was for the Lord to come quickly. Are you hoping the Lord comes quickly? The beginning of that scroll, isn't it interesting that it spoke of the coming of Jesus? You can't begin Christianity without understanding He's coming again. And if you're not ready for that, we'd love to help you. We'd love to serve you in any way that we can. If you've never begun that life as a believer, willing to repent of sins and confess and be baptized, why not this morning? Or if you need to study more, we'd love to study and and just help you along to better understand the Scriptures and serve you. Maybe you've begun that journey and maybe somewhere along the way you've lost the way. Maybe it's simply time to mature and, and realize it's a lot more than a religion. It's a life. It's a focus. It's a purpose. It's trust. You can trust God. God will never steer you wrong. Will you trust Him this morning? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.